So tonight we're going to look at uh, James chapter 5. Get your Bibles out, get your uh, phone out, get whatever version of the Bible that you have, get it out. We're going in James chapter 5, starting at verse 13. Remember, James is this book where we're looking at um, what does God want us to be as Christians? What should we look like as a mature Christian? And it's kind of like a mirror. He's holding up this mirror, and we're looking in this mirror, and we're looking at what's in there versus what we are, okay? We're comparing ourselves to what the Bible says, and then we're trying to conform ourselves to what it says we should be like. So tonight, we're going to look at the subject of prayer tonight. So James chapter 5, verse 13, starting at 13. I'm just going to read two of these verses, and then we're going to talk about it a little bit. If any of you is in trouble, he should pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Is any one of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. Let's stop right there for a second. This is about prayer tonight. And what he starts out with is he starts talking about these three different scenarios that come up in people's lives. He says, first of all, if you're in trouble, anybody ever been in trouble? I've been in trouble before, right? All kinds of bad stuff. He says, if you're in trouble, you should pray. He says, if you're happy, if things are going well, things are going good in your life, you should praise God. That's another form of prayer. And then he says, if you're sick, if you're not feeling good, things aren't going well health-wise for you, you should call the elders and have them come pray. In all three of these situations, he's talking about prayer because prayer is this communicating to God. You can communicate to God in a lot of different ways. Prayer can take on many different forms. You can write him a letter. Uh, you can write him an email. I'm not sure what his email address is, but I'm sure he'll get it if you hit send. So just go ahead and do it. Um, you can talk to him. You can pray silently. You can pray out loud. You can pray in a group. You can play with, pray with your parents. You can have other people come over and pray with you. All of these things are ways in which you communicate to God. And he's saying in all these different scenarios, a mature Christian, somebody who's doing what I want them to do, they look like what God wants them to look like, they pray in all these different situations. This is how you're supposed to be. Now, in verse 15, it says, and the prayer offered in faith. Now, let's stop there for a second. I usually stop in the middle of a verse because I believe you should read the whole sentence, right? But that's not the whole sentence. It says, but the prayer offered in faith. And I want to talk about what this is. He's saying in these different situations, we're supposed to pray, but it's supposed to be a prayer of faith. What is a prayer of faith? What does that mean? Well, we talked about how prayer is this communication, right? We're talking to God. And we're trying to orient ourselves to what does God want from us? That's what we're trying to understand. What's his will for our lives? What is it that he wants us to be doing? What am I doing wrong? What am I doing right? This is why I'm praying to God. And I pray to him. I give him thanks for the things that are going on in my life. I give him credit for all the things that he does. But this says not just prayer. It says a prayer of faith. So what's faith? What's faith got to do with prayer? Well, let me grab this chair over here. All right, now, I'm a mechanical engineer. I went to Iowa State University. It took me five years to get a four-year engineering degree because it was hard. <clears throat> had nothing to do with me not studying hard or anything like that. I could actually take this chair, and I could calculate how strong these legs are and how strong this seat is and how strong the back of this chair is, and I could get a pretty good estimate of how much weight this chair could hold, right? And I can grab this chair and I can pull on it and I can see it's pretty strong, right? And I can set it down and I can push on it. And I can say, yeah, that chair is pretty good. 
I could take this chair, I could take it over to a lab, and I could put it in there, and I could maybe start putting test dummies on top of this thing and see how much weight this chair could take, right? Or I might put sandbags on there, and I might get up to seven or 800 pounds and say, oh, that's good enough. You know, if it holds 700 pounds, it'll certainly hold me, right? I could have you guys come up here one at a time, and I could make you sit in this chair and see if it holds you, right? But none of that is faith. Understanding how much it's supposed to hold, testing it to see how much it holds, having people demonstrate that it'll hold, none of that's faith. Faith is actually sitting down and putting your weight on it. Okay? Now, that took some faith on my part because what if it broke and it fall on the ground? Now, I'm not very far to fall, so the chances of me getting hurt by falling off this chair, not great. So it didn't take a lot of faith. But what if this chair was 20 feet tall and to climb all the way up there and sit on it? Well, it takes more faith, doesn't it? Now I, I want to know more about this chair, right? I really do want to know how much it's rated to hold, and I really would like to see a bunch of you get on it first, right, before I go up there, because that takes a lot more faith. Faith is putting your weight on it. It's not just believing you can do it or believing it'll hold you or thinking that it can hold you or running the calculations to demonstrate that it should hold you or seeing other people do it. It's actually doing it. It's actually putting your weight on it. So what's a prayer of faith? Well, a prayer of faith is just that. It's communicating to God, but then putting your weight on it, relying on it, leaning into it, sitting down on God and letting him carry the weight of your prayer. That's a prayer of faith. What he's saying here, if you're in trouble, you pray a prayer of faith and you give that trouble to God and you sit on God and you let him fix that problem. If you're happy, you pray a prayer of faith and you give God the acknowledgement that he's done this and that you're happy, you're in joy, and, and this is great. And you give him the acknowledgement for that and you lean into him and you let him have that gratitude. If you're sick, you pray a prayer of faith and you lean into God. You sit down on him and you let him take care of that. That's a prayer of faith. you got to put your weight on the prayer, okay? It's not just praying and hoping. It's not just praying and wondering. It's actually relying on it, sitting on it, waiting on it. That's a prayer of faith. Look, when you're in trouble and you pray, your part of being in trouble is to pray, forgive, be nice, be Christ-like, don't sin, be patient. God's part when you're in trouble is to heal, protect, vengeance. That's his job, right? Paying people back for the wrong that they've done to you. That's not your job. That's God's job. You let God do that. Restoration, comfort, protection, all of that's God's part, right? You do what you're supposed to do. You pray, you forgive, you be nice, you be Christ-like, you do all those things. But you sit on God and you let God do his part. When you're sick, your part is to pray, to be healthy, 
Okay? You're not supposed to be running around destroying your body by smoking and, and eating too much and eating the wrong kinds of stuff. And You're not supposed to be doing that, right? Your part is be healthy. Go to the doctor. Take your medications. If you've got to have surgery, have the surgery. That's your part. God's part is to provide the healing, provide the protection, provide the comfort, provide your ability to get through that. That's his part. You sit down on God and you let him do what he's supposed to do. When you're happy, your part is to praise God, give him the proper credit, give him the acknowledgement. God's part is to accept that and to, and, to, and to recognize that you've done that. He says in the Bible, there's one part in the Bible that's kind of always haunted me. And it, it, it talks about how God says about people who don't praise him. It's like, they don't even acknowledge me for the things I've done. Like if they would just, if they would just give me credit, it would be worth something, but they don't. Well, don't be like that. Give God the acknowledgement when things are going well. Now, here's the problem. Like I said, I started, stopped right in the middle of verse 15. Here's the problem with verse 15. It says, And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, he'll be forgiven. Anybody see what the problem is there? See, I got a father who died of cancer in 1996. We prayed. And he wasn't healed. He died. My brother died last year from cancer. And we prayed. And he's not here anymore. He passed away. My grandfather died of cancer. So far, except for one guy in the Old Testament... The death rate for people living in the world has been 100%. Every single person who's ever lived has died from something, right? Maybe they got crushed by a rock, they got eaten by a dinosaur, um, they got sick and died, I don't know. But they died of something, okay? And this passage says, prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. Am I supposed to assume here that no prayer of faith was ever given for any person who's ever lived in the United lived in the world, the history of the world? Well, I don't think so. I think prayers of faith have been given. But here's the problem. I don't know how to reconcile what this says with the reality that I see in the world that people do die. Okay? Now some people will say, well, technically when you die you're healed because now your body is perfected. You go to heaven and that's a form of healing. Eh, all right. Maybe. I'm not really buying that, but I guess I could see it. But look, sometimes in the Bible, when you're reading the Bible, and it says stuff like this, you can't figure it out. And I can't figure this out, and I don't know exactly what this means, and I'm not going to try and pull the wool over your eyes and tell you that this means something it doesn't mean. It says, prayer of faith will make the sick person well. I don't know how that works. And I'm not going to try and pull the wool over your eyes and tell you I know how it works because I don't. I don't really understand that. All I can tell you is that your part is to pray. That's what God says. Offer a prayer of faith. Sometimes God does heal people. I've seen that happen many times. Sometimes he does not. I've seen many people have been sick for years and years and years and God doesn't heal them and I don't know why. But it sometimes doesn't happen. It depends on what God's will is. But that's his part. That's not your part. That's his part. We do what we're supposed to do. We pray. Okay? 
Now, the little lesson there is that when you run into passages in the Bible like that and you can't explain them or you don't understand them, just accept what it says and move on with life. Okay? There are going to be things that we don't understand and we don't get, and that's okay. You don't have to have every answer. You don't have to have every single thing figured out. You don't have to know it all. Okay? Nobody's going to know it all. Nobody's going to understand it. It's okay to think about it. It's okay to work on it. It's okay to go talk to people. Maybe go talk to the pastor about it, see what he thinks of that. So, you know, the guy was teaching last week, and he didn't know what this meant. What do you think it means? That's fine. Do all that. But it's also okay to not know. Okay? So, I don't know, and I'm not going to try and fool you into thinking I know. But here's what I know. You're told to pray. You're told to pray in faith, which means to sit down in your prayer. You're told to put your weight on God, and you let God do his part. And you have faith that God's going to take care of the situation. That's your part. That's what we're called to do. That's what a mature Christian does. That's what the Bible is showing us in the mirror. They're saying, this is what happens when you run into this situation. So that's what we're supposed to be like. Let's keep going. Verse 16. Therefore, so whenever you see a therefore in the Bible, you're supposed to ask what? Do you guys know? What's it there for? Right. Therefore is always a conclusion. It's a conclusion for what came before. So I see a therefore, I ask myself, what's it there for? Well, what's it there for is it's concluding what came before this. This is therefore. In other words, as summary or as a result of what we've just talked about, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Why would we do that? Why would I confess my sins to you? Um... You know, I have a tendency to lie. That's kind of a confession. What's that make you think of me? Does that make you think less of me? Because I sometimes struggle to tell the truth. Sometimes I curse. I get mad and I curse. Um, you know, there's those things they call the fruit of the Spirit. Patience, gentleness, kindness. What's the rest? What are the rest? John, what are the rest of them? Patience, gentleness, kindness. Love, joy, peace. Yeah, like when I was like your age, I had none of those. I was like zero for zero, right? Now, I've gotten better over my life, but I'm by no means batting a thousand on those things, right? I get angry sometimes. I'm not always a peacemaker. Um, but I confess my sins to you. Why do I confess my sins to you? I confess my sins to you so that you realize that we're in this together, right? You have the same problems I have. Just because I get to stand up here and talk to you guys tonight doesn't mean I got it all together doesn't mean that I don't have any issues. doesn't mean that I didn't go through struggles in my life or that I still don't go through struggles in my life. It's meant for us to know we're on the same page. I'm not better than you. You're not better than me. We're in this together. And I have sins and you have sins. And we confess those things to each other so that as iron sharpens iron, we can help each other. We can work together. And I can help you with your sins and you can help me with mine. When you understand that I have a problem lying, you might call me out on that. Say, that's not true. Right? And that helps me to not lie like I used to, right? So we, we confess our sins to each other. It also builds humbleness. We're meant to be humble. God calls us to be humble. And me confessing to you what problems that I have makes me more humble. It will make you more humble as well. So we confess our sins to each other for that reason. And it also makes us realize that we're all sinners. One of the common complaints that you hear about Christians in general from media and from news reports and so forth, is that Christians think they're better than other people. 
That's what you hear all the time. Um, people will call out a certain sin and they'll say, you hate me because I'm, I'm participating in this sin. What they don't realize is I get the same problems they got. They get the same sin issues they've got. There's no difference. I'm not better than them in any way. I'm in the exact same boat that they're in. Exactly. Maybe worse. So it humbles us. And it makes people realize that we all really are sinners. And we all need the same exact forgiveness in order to go to heaven. Because we're all in the same boat together. So we confess our sins one to another. But let me ask you this. Why do you think sin is mentioned here? We're talking about a prayer of faith. And we're talking about sickness. Why does he bring up sin here? It says, Therefore, confess your sins one to another and pray for each other so that you may be healed. What does sin have to do with sickness? Well, in this context, these people at this time, one of the things that was going on in their lives is that they had been taught and they believed that if you were sick, that meant that you had sin in your life. Sin was the cause of sickness. Therefore, in order for you to be healed, you had to first be forgiven, and then you could get past your sickness, all right? Now, we know that that's not always true, but that is true sometimes. There are sins in the Bible that will make you sick. It's like we took communion this morning, right, in church? There's a sin that says that if you take communion in an unworthy fashion, some of you will be sick and even die. Well, that's a sickness caused by sin, okay? So sometimes sickness is caused by sin. And what he says here is that that's not terminal. The reason it's not terminal is because you can be forgiven of that. You confess your sins and you can be forgiven and that can bring healing in your life also. But other times sickness is just that. It's just sickness. It's just that it's this broken world we live in and that's the way it is. And we're all going to get sick and we're all going to die and we're all going to have to suffer and that's just the way it's going to be. So we pray to God and we ask for healing. We ask for his comfort and he gets us through those things. Whether it means that it ends up in our death or it ends up that we're sick for a long time or it ends up that we're healed the next day. No matter what it is, God brings that healing eventually in our lives. Now, next thing it says is the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Now, he describes this person, the preposition used there is a righteous person. It's not the preposition, it's the wrong term for it. <laughs> it's an adverb or an adjective, what is that? I didn't study English for a while. Engineers do not know English, I'm just telling you. Can't spell. Um, but anyhow, he calls this a righteous man, a righteous man. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Well, who's righteous? Righteous means... That's something that God declares about you when you're saved. He says, when you confess your sins to God and you ask Jesus into your heart, God himself declares you to be righteous at that point. That means he has forgiven you of your sins and you're considered as if you hadn't done anything wrong. Now, we all know we've done something wrong, right? I've done lots of things that are wrong. But... God declares you righteous. Now that means the prayer of a righteous man 
is powerful and effective. That means if you're saved, if you've been saved, you're righteous. That means your prayer is powerful and effective. That means my prayer is powerful and effective. The problem here, we tend to think of righteous people as like maybe the pastor of the church or maybe a couple of the elders or maybe my mom and dad might be righteous or maybe it's like some of the apostles in the Bible like maybe Peter or John the Baptist or maybe one of the old prophets. Those are righteous, but I'm not, right? I mean, we don't think of ourselves as being righteous. I don't think of myself as being righteous. Yet, in God's eyes, you are. And that means your prayer is powerful and effective. Now think about that for a minute. Your prayer is powerful and effective. My prayer is powerful and effective. Say that to yourself. My prayer is powerful and effective. Think about that for a second. Your prayer is powerful and effective. It kind of changes things a little bit, doesn't it? It's not like I'm praying to God and I'm just hoping that something might happen or that it might happen or maybe God's going to hear me. Maybe No, he's saying your prayer is powerful and effective. Your prayer is powerful and effective. Think about that. Your prayer is powerful and effective. It changes things. It has power behind it. It has an effect. It makes things move. It makes things change. Your prayer is powerful and effective. Let that sink in for a minute. Your prayer of faith, when you pray to God and you sit down on it, Your prayer has power, and it changes things. Use it. Use your power. Use your effectiveness. Pray to God about things. Talk to God about things. Find out what His will for your life is. You can affect change in your life, in your family's life, in your friend's life, in this community's life, in this church's life. Because your prayer is powerful and effective. So is mine. So is John's. So is Tom's. Your prayer is just as effective as my prayer. Pray in faith and it's powerful and effective. He gives an example here. He says, Elijah was a man like us. He prayed earnestly it would not rain. And it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. And again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. And this is an Old Testament story. It's back in, I think it's around Kings, 1 Kings chapter 17, 18, 19, right in there. You can read about it. It's a really cool story. I like it. It's one of my favorite stories. The reason I like the story is because um, Elijah was mad at him. He was the prophet of God, and Elijah was mad at him because they were worshiping Baal, and Elijah didn't like that. And so he said, he said there's not going to be any rain. On, God told him to pray this. He said, there's not going to be any rain on the earth for three years. And then he went away, and he went and hid somewhere. And they, they were trying to kill him and find him and, and all this stuff, and they couldn't find him. And, and there, a lot of stuff happened while he was gone. But anyhow, for three years it didn't rain. Nothing happened. Well, then he comes back, and he shows up, and he goes and he, and he sees these, these prophets and he, says, and he says to the people, he says, look, if you're going to worship Baal, worship him. But if you're going to worship God, worship him. Make a choice. Decide which way it's going to be. 
And then he challenges them to this contest. And he has, the, he has like 400 prophets of Baals, and he has them build this altar. And they put a calf on it, and they put wood on it and everything else. And the, and the thing is this. He says, you pray to Baal, and you see if Baal will send lightning down and light the altar fire. And I'm going to build an altar over here, and I'm going to put a calf on it, and then I'm going to pray to God, and I'm going to see if he sends lightning down and lights it on fire. And whoever, whoever's God lights this on fire, that's the God that we're going to worship. And so these prophets, they do, they build their, their altar, and they pray, and they pray all day, and they're cutting themselves, and they're doing all kinds of crazy things, and yelling, and, and Elijah's taunting them and telling them to yell louder, and he's doing all this kind of stuff. And guess what? The lightning never comes and never does it. So then... Elijah takes his altar and he dumps water on it like three or four times. He fills it all up. He basically destroys it. Then he prays to God and God consumes. He sends lightning down. He just consumes his altar and everything on it. And if I remember right, he consumed the altar of the Baal people too. Took all of that. And then Elijah kills them all. And all the prophets are dead. And it's just this massive victory, right? And he's saying that Elijah was a man like you. He was just a man like me, right? There wasn't anything special about Elijah. It was God that did this. But God told him to pray this way, and he prayed this way, and his prayer was powerful and effective, just like yours, okay, just like mine. And this happened. You know what Elijah did after that? He, uh, this lady named Jezebel, who I think was the queen of that area, was mad that he had killed all these prophets of Baal. And so she said, I'm going to kill Elijah. And Elijah was scared, and he ran... 100 miles or something like that, way out in the wilderness, went in a cave and sat down, scared to death. After all of that, he was scared. God goes and sees him in the cave, and God walks in and he's like, what are you doing? And he's like, well, you know, I'm like the only prophet left. You know, I'm, he's like, no. God says, I got a whole bunch of them. Now go back and do what you're supposed to do. So right after this great victory, he fails, and he goes and he hides, and he's scared, and well, that's just like us, Right? Sometimes we have these mountaintop experiences where things are great, and like the next day, we're a total failure. We screwed it up. We've blown it. It, it all went bad. We've sinned. We've gone. It, it happens, right? Here's my advice. Be like Elijah. Don't be off the track very long. When you get off and you go the wrong way, get right back on the track. Get right back to where you're supposed to be. Don't spend a lot of time out there. Don't spend time off of the right track, get back on track with God, get back on track right away, start doing what you're supposed to do, just like Elijah did. He went right back and got right back into what God asked him to do, okay? Now listen, Elijah's a man just like me and you, right? It's just like you. He prayed it didn't rain for three years, and it didn't. Then he prayed there'd be rain, and it rained. And you have the same exact power he has. Your prayer is powerful and effective. So look, let's kind of conclude what we talked about today. In all situations in your life, whether you're sick or in trouble or things are going well or whatever else your situation is, the mature Christian, the one that God likes, the one that God is holding up as an example to us and saying, be like this, they pray. They sing songs of praise to God. They pray to Him. And their prayer is effective because they pray in faith. They pray and they sit down on it and they expect God to make something happen. And they let God do his part. And that's what God wants from you. He wants you to pray in faith and he wants you to sit down on him. Put your full weight on him and let him work.
Not always easy. It's not always the simplest thing to do. Sometimes it's hard to wait on God. My wife and I have um, wanted to move to the city of Eureka for three years. Started with there was some property that's over here that I fell in love with and I wanted to buy and I wanted to build a house out there and and um, come to this church and participate here and I thought that's what God's will was and I prayed about it. My wife and I both prayed about it. And our prayer to God was, God, if this is what you want us to do, then you know we have to sell our house, but we're not going to go ahead of God. We're not going to step out and we're not going to buy a house. We're not going to buy property. We're not going to start this process until God sells our house because that was the deal we made with him. We said, look, your part, God, is to show us that this is what you want. That was our prayer of faith. And you see how we sat down on him? You see how we sat and put our weight on God? We said, we're not going ahead until you, God, have shown us clearly that this is what you want us to do. Well, our house didn't sell. A year went by, and we'd have people come to our house, and they'd look at the house, and they said, this is a beautiful home. I can't believe nobody's bought this yet. We love this house. This is fantastic. Why hasn't it sell? Well, God doesn't want it to sell. That's all we could come up with, because everybody that looked at it said it was fantastic, but nobody bought it. So finally, we decided that that's not what God wanted us to do. It became clear that God did not want us to buy that property and build a house out there. So we made an offer on another house in town here, another beautiful house, loved it. It's gorgeous. Would have loved to live there. And the offer was accepted and everything else. But guess what? God didn't sell our house. Our prayer was still, you have to show us, God. You've got to show us that you want us to do this. And we put our full weight on him. We wouldn't move without his, without his guidance. And he didn't sell the house. And it sat for another year. Time went by and we changed realtors and the new realtors would come in and they'd say, I can't believe this house hasn't sold. I don't understand it, you know. And they'd tell us to change this about the house or paint that in the house. And maybe we're going to market it a different way. And No matter what we did, nobody was interested in our house. We watched thousands of homes around us sell. And ours is like the only one that didn't sell. And we knew, we knew it was God saying no. So we waited. And when that house fell through, we did our part and we found another house over here on Reagan Drive and we liked that one, so we made an offer on that one and still, God didn't sell our house. And he said no. No matter what we did, lowered the price, marketed it, had you know, open houses, it didn't matter what we did, God said no, 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 no. Okay? And we didn't move ahead with anything. We didn't move ahead. We kept sitting on God and waiting for him to do something. Probably six weeks ago, my wife said to me, you know, maybe God wants us to move back to Wisconsin where we're from. And I'd always thought, I like Wisconsin. I like the area we're from. And I said, you know, I would like to do that too. I said, but what's the problem? God hasn't sold our house. We can't move until we sell our house. God's going to have to show us by selling our house. And you know what? All of a sudden, within 24 hours, we had like four showings. We had a second showing. We had a third showing. We had an offer within 24 hours of us making that decision, a good offer, made a deal, and we had to be out in a month. We're like, uh, uh, <laughs> really? And I mean, God just made it really clear that that's what he wanted us to do. Look, that's sitting on God. That's waiting for God. Instead of going ahead, instead of buying something that we weren't supposed to buy, doing something we weren't supposed to be doing, 
moving in a direction God didn't want us to go. We just waited, and we waited for God's leading. That's what he wants from you guys. When you pray, pray a prayer of faith. Sit down on it and wait for God. Let God do his part. Don't go ahead of God. Do what you can do. You know what I mean? We looked at houses. We made offers on houses. We put our house on the market. We did all of those things that you can do, and you're supposed to do that too. Do the things you can do, but don't go ahead of God. Let God lead you in this process. Let him be the one that makes the decisions. Let him do his part. And your prayer of faith is powerful and effective. Put that in your back pocket. Write it down. Stick it in your wallet. Put it on your mirror at home. Put it on the little, you know, on the little laptop computer thing you get. What do you call them? iPads now? Is that what they're called? I have laptops at home. I'm old school. Chromebooks? All right. Your little Chromebook probably has a little pop-up thing that comes up and it slides around on there, right? So you can put on your little Chromebook when it goes into the hibernation mode, you know, wait on God. Powerful and effective. You know, put that thing on there. I used to have on mine, I used to have this little slogan that said, don't touch me, because if you touched it, you know, it went away. So the little thing would go around on the screen and say, don't touch me. <laughs> but you can put something on there like, my prayer is powerful and effective. So it reminds you of that, and then pray that way. Pray that way. Don't wait to grow up. Don't wait to be my age before you find out your prayer is effective, okay? Don't wait until you're older. Don't think you have to wait. Your prayer right now, as you sit here today, is the same as mine. So use it to your advantage, okay? I love you guys. I will not be able to come back and talk to you again. This is the last time I'm going to be here because this week we go to Wisconsin and we're out of here. And uh, I'm looking forward to it. So this is the last time I get to talk to you. But... I'm going to watch on Facebook to see what you guys are doing, all right? And John's going to send me emails and let me know how you guys are doing. So kick butts, take names, all right? What's that? I know. I So <laughs> So who plays guitar in here? Anybody? All right. Well, you guys, hey, start practicing. Get up there and get yourself an electric guitar and start jamming, all right? And if you need lessons, let me know. I'll come back and help you, all right? But there's an opening, so somebody's got to fill it. John, yeah. leave it to you. Yes, you can. Hey, guys. I want to I wanna do two things. Two things. So the first is I would love to pray for Mike and his wife. Her name is Wendy. But instead of you guys, I would love if everybody came up here and we just laid hands on Mike and prayed for him. And we could pretend to lay hands on his wife. We'll just you know, put our hands there. <laughs> I'll stand come down on, here. Yeah, come on, come on up. We'll put our hands on, on, on Mike. We'll pray for him. And then I have another announcement, and then we're done. <laughs> 